provide value, especially to up and comers, as they like to see, especially in in your market, because through you're generally uh, adding values. Before we get into today's episode, I want to remind you that Blue Spruce Capital is lending on one to four unit fix and flips in multiple states. Contact Blue Spruce Capital by going to the show notes. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Oh, and one thing I was going to mention, oh, we already started. Let's roll. No, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, I was going to say the one thing that could really bring value to your audience, especially in this uh, climate of the market, is finding deals, which is one thing that Rod had brought me on stage to kind of cover. Okay. Perfect. Three. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Adams. And today we are with Sterling White from Syndication Pro. You can find him at syndicationpro.co. Or if you can want to email him, it's sterling at syndicationpro.co. All right. So Sterling, we are going to talk a little bit about how you find all of your deals. For the audience, for the listener right now, Sterling has 130 single family rentals and another 176 multifamily syndications that he's put together. So what I'm excited about is to find out how he found all, the, all of these deals. He's in Indianapolis and Dayton. Sterling, remind me where you live. Uh, based here, born and raised in Indianapolis. And okay. I just want to say for everyone, we're about to bring the heat and the fire today. Awesome. Awesome. I like it. All right. So first off, let me ask you, um, how did you get into real estate for the first time? Your, your very first deal, what was going through your mind and what did you buy? Uh, so I made the transition from construction to single family home investing and actually partnered with my mentor who I started working with for free in order to get into the industry. So through that process, what I brought to the table was he was looking to uh, diversify from multifamily investing to single family. And that's where I brought the value in that. So that's where I brought the first deal to him and basically retain equity instead of taking a wholesale fee. Okay. Okay. So uh, tell us a little bit about how that worked on the first, on the first couple deals. Yeah. So how that worked and it just snowballed into additional ones as well. And through that process, it was uh, so that first one actually found through a local wholesaler. So this was four or five years ago where the market wasn't as uh, competitive now. So you can actually get good deals from wholesalers. And then also was doing direct mail campaign and had the We Buy Houses sign. So had all that traffic coming in and we just bought the first deal together, bought the second and just kind of went on from there. Okay. So what, what year was this? This was 2013. Okay, so in 2013, there was three ways that you were finding deals. Other wholesalers, direct mail, and your bandit signs. That is correct. What was the most effective back then? I would say the, the direct mail and the bandit signs. Okay, perfect. So that was better than other wholesalers. How come? Because uh, you wouldn't have to pay that fee. Okay. Uh, okay. And yeah, that was that was more and you would do your own negotiations. So generally you would be able to get a better deal because you're uh, negotiating on your behalf. Okay. Got it. Got it. All right. So these days, how are you finding deals? Uh, it is all direct to seller right now. And it's all uh, di direct mail and also cold calls. And our focus is 
in uh, Ohio markets, Indiana markets, as well as, uh, did I say Kentucky markets? And we pull, uh, we compile our own list of basically uh, 50 unit apartment, comp 50 between 50 and 150 uh, unit apartment complexes, pull the information and then just start hitting the phones. Okay, so let me ask you, why 50 uh, to 150? And then I have a specific reason, and that's because I start seeing things happen for us when, after we get above 150. So uh, what is it that you like about playing in the niche of 50 to 150? Uh, when it comes to uh, when we're not in Indiana, so in Indianapolis, we'll go as low as 50, but when we're in other markets, we like to be at least – uh, uh, a little under a hundred because we'll you have the economies of scale you can have someone on site two people on site but what we've seen in that niche is you it's more often mom and pop owners and that's where we've had the most success in terms of being able to get uh, good deals okay so um you talked about cold calling direct to seller what are the other strategies that you're doing uh direct mail going back to that so okay <laughs> One thing I'm about to drop a little gold nugget right now is in terms of a, a follow-up is I've been implementing uh, rant. Uh, so I'll just give you an example. Uh, I've been sending Rubik's cubes. Actually, I'm gonna go ahead and pull it out now. Little Rubik's cubes. Uh, okay, not able to find it now, but they were in my desk somewhere. Little Rubik's cubes to multifamily owners. And I'll send like a little special note that says, hey, let's figure this out. And it's just more of a way to basically stay top of mind and just follow up in a different mechanism versus just pounding them out with the phone calls. It'd be pretty hard if somebody gave you a Rubik's Cube to just throw it in the garbage, right? That is correct. <laughs> so so it, maybe if they're not working on it that day, they'll see it some other time and they'll be like, eh, I'm ready to sell. Let me, let me call that guy. So let me ask you, is your... Is your phone number on the Rubik's Cube or? Yeah, so we, it'll, it'll be on the little note that I have along with it. Okay, got it, got it. Cool. All right, so we, we will have several questions. Um, the first question that I have right now is just when you started doing multifamily syndication, I think you own three buildings right now. Is that right? That is correct. Mm -hmm. Okay, so with those 176 units, three buildings, did that start after you had 130 singles or have you still purchased single families after starting with multifamily? Yeah, so actually before we had the portfolio of the a little over 130 single families, we were doing the turnkey route, so selling those as investment properties to investors across the nation. But I would say right around once we hit that cap of 130. Uh, so just recently we made that shift completely to multifamily and stop acquiring single family altogether. Okay. So when was the date ish when you stopped doing single family and you started doing these multifamily? I would say the summer of, gosh, what is that? February of, Gosh, I don't even know what day it is anymore, to be honest, Adam. Okay. Uh, I would say about a year and a half ago to two years is okay. when we made that shift. Stop acquiring single families and made the shift. Okay. And what did it take you to get into multifamily? Did you start taking education? Did you just listen to podcasts? Did you dive in without 
any help. What was, um, what was your strategy, your path to switching from single to multi? So I became completely engulfed and also my personality, I have addictive personality. So once I go in on something, I'm all in on it. And through that, I started reading, of course, I'm a, I'm a member on uh, Bigger Pockets, so I was reading through all their forums, blogs, and then also Grant uh, Cardone, who you, I'm sure you'll, you're familiar with, was doing tons of education on multifamily. I was reading books. And then also there's local developers here and multifamily owners. So I just sat, had a cup of coffee with them and basically did all these different mechanisms to uh, learn that specific uh, sector. Okay. How did um, that go when you were meeting for coffee with the local developers? Yeah. So it was more of when I reach out to someone and this is what I would recommend for your audience too, is when you're reaching up is to be of value to that specific person too. So what I would do was if they're involved with a nonprofit organization, I would say, Hey, I can bring this and this to the table to what you're doing here. Hey, would you mind just having a brief uh, sit down with me? I would love to pick your brain, pick your brain. And ultimately I would say nine times out of 10, eight times out of 10, I would get a yes. Okay. And what did you learn from the developers? I would say the, the biggest thing is, uh, especially when, it, uh, when you're putting out your performa, is you can never be conservative. There's always going to be something that comes along in the, the process that you did not foresee. Uh, so that was one thing that uh, you can never really be too conservative on your on being conservative. And then also that uh, basically just stick to your numbers. Essentially, if you're looking at the numbers and it doesn't pencil out, then basically just blow out of the deal. I love that. I love them both. Um, it's very true. There's always new things. And in my real estate experience, if I, I've had the exact same thing where I kind of uh, you're you're trying to be conservative. You're you're making sure that you're going to make a ton of money, and then you didn't anticipate, you know, perhaps a hurricane coming through or whatever. Um, you know, so I I lost money on a flip once upon a time um, in Florida, and it was just it was just bad timing, and and it was really hard to find, um, what was it? Contractors to be able to come and do anything for us. And so I, 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 would, I couldn't agree with you anymore. Um, you can't be conservative enough um, and sticking to your numbers. That's really good advice. I appreciate you going through that. So your path was going to the Bigger Pockets forums, taking Grant Cardone's education. Is that something you paid for? No, just through his free, uh, through his uh, YouTube videos. Free YouTube. Okay. And then you were reading books. What were some of the books that you liked? I really like the one by David Lindhall and okay. I forget what the exact name of the title was. Was uh, it Emerging Markets? No, the it was one? Yeah, the other one. Okay, got it. <laughs> on, yeah, uh, he's got uh, two main ones. I multifamily it's purple, I believe, or blue. Yeah, 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 multifamily million. That was a very okay. great book. Loved it. And it wasn't boring. And there was another one, Buying and Selling by Steve Burgess or something along those lines. But that was very boring and bland, <laughs> that yeah. book. But still was able to get some, and it was outdated, but still was able to get some bits and pieces away from it. And when you were talking about sitting down with the local developers, you said that you always offer something to them. And I know that you were asking them to pick their brain, but what was it specifically that you were offering 
uh, to help? How, to, how could you help their business? What were you saying to them at the time? Yeah, so a lot of the times what I see is these individuals that are high up are more than happy to provide value, especially to up and comers, as they like to see, especially in, in your market, because through you're generally uh, adding value through building these communities or purchasing existing asset and then uh, renovating it and making the city more beautiful. But then I would check into their background and see what organizations they're associated with. So for example, if the guy was with a nonprofit, I would, I would be, I would take along the lines that, okay, well, I see these specific days there having volunteers. That is something I'm more than happy to provide in terms of go out there, assist with some landscaping or on a high level, help you structure the uh, meetings a little bit more efficiently. Love it. Uh, that's great. Great info. Thank you so much. All right. So what we're going to do is we are going to take it to learning a little bit more about how to find these deals in this market. We talked about that you have cold calls. Um, when you were on stage at Rod Cleef's large event with 400 plus investors, you talked a lot about door knocking and some other strategies of getting deals in this tough market. And I personally would love to learn, you know, how, to, how you're getting some deals. So there's going to be a whole bunch of people listening as well that I think would resonate with this as well. So let's get into that. But to, to start it off with, I will let you know that because of the podcast and some other things, I always have people reaching out to me and saying, how do we work with you? And I've always, I've always said there's really three main ways, okay? There's three main ways you could work with a, a company that's already doing things. You can find me deals because I need them. Mm -hmm. You can passively invest if you're accredited or you can raise money from your friends to go into deals with us and be on the general partnership. Those are the three main ways. And almost everybody sits there and says, well, you know, I'm afraid to ask for money and I don't have any money. So I'd rather just find deals. And they ask me how to find deals and I'm not very good at telling them. <laughs> so this is perfect, perfect timing and glad to have you. So I'm going to take some really good notes, but let's start from scratch. Somebody hasn't yet done a deal. What is their next step to finding a deal, whether they're closing on it on their own or bringing it to a syndicator like you or me? Yeah, so the first step is to pick whatever market or sub-market or neighborhood within that sub-market that you're going to target. And so it's to be zero-like focused in on that. And then after that, let's say you're looking for distress or mom and pop owners. So you have that criteria. So you really want to narrow down on your uh, profile, on that profile. And then basically you just pull the list and you can do that through... Uh, you can buy a list, but preferably just build the list on your own. So let's say it's 123 Main Street. You'll pull that uh, specific uh, public information. It can be either be owned by the specific owner. Uh, well, the owner could have it under their name or an LLC. Then you would skip trace that LLC and then basically find their contact information. And there you go. Okay. All right. I think we're missing a lot here. Okay. Um, Did I just go too, too far on? Uh... 
Yeah. So we will, I'll, I'll just ask you details about all parts. And I think I have okay. five steps. You first pick your market, your sub market in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Second, you pick your sellers. You yes. identify your target audience. That is correct. Third, you buy or build a list. Fourth, you do your skip tracing. And mm-hmm. fifth, you just contact them. So those are the five steps. So let me, uh, let me ask you a few questions on, on these things. So and I me, wanted to say thanks, Adam, for breaking that down for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I need to learn. I need to learn how you're, how you're getting your deals because this is important uh, for a lot of us. So just going to the step one, picking a market, your sub-market, and your neighborhood. What allows you to pick a good market, a sub-market, and how do you pick that neighborhood? So what are the steps within this step to uh, excel at it in the best way? Yeah, so it's always best to, well, my recommendation is to stay as close to home as possible. Uh, And through that, the things that are good to look for in the market is you want to look at the high-level economics. Are there large corporations that are headquartered there? Is it business friendly? Is there job growth or are jobs on the decline? Because that's not good because that's just lowering uh, your, uh, what is it, your uh, specific tenants. And then also, is it population growth or is the population declining? So those are the, the biggest factors to look at on a high level. All right. I am still making those notes because this is important. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so stay close to home if possible. Look at the economics. Mm-hmm. And so within the economics, you're finding out, is it business friendly? Is there job growth? Is there population growth or population decline? So my first question would just be, where do you go to find out if there's job growth or population growth in an area? I would say the, the main thing is you would just be able to do a Google. So Indianapolis... Uh, population, for instance, that'll give you, I think the the latest consensus or the latest data is maybe from 2016, but some, depending on whatever the city is, ha- is more updated, but you can also track the history on how the, the population has progressed. So Detroit, for instance, you can see that it was like this and then boom, took a dive and then now it's steadily go- going up. <laughs> okay, gotcha, gotcha. So so by Googling it is where you're, you've been able to understand job growth, job decline, population growth, population decline? Yes, correct. And, and then whether or not a, uh, a city is business friendly, I would say look at it more from the tenant landlord uh, standpoint. So a place like Chicago, for instance, and you can get this understanding from networking with other investors on biggerpockets.com, for instance, or just attending a local meetup. And let's say Chicago and that specific city, the, when you go to evict a tenant, it can be as long as six months. So that, from that standpoint, it's not very landlord friendly, but you would only get that specific information by networking with others that are uh, in that niche or in that specific uh, market. Okay. Let's ask, uh, let's ask a, a couple questions. So number one, when you're talking about going to BP to find out if it's business or landlord friendly, I think that's brilliant advice. And I think everybody should be taking that. Go to BP, start posting in the forums, asking the questions, networking with people because you'll find people from all around. Um, but 
when you're specifically trying to find out if it's landlord friendly or business friendly, how do you know if you're getting into a good area? So like, I guess the question is, what do you specifically look for? Um, and what is good? Because you are talking about having Chicago being a place where it takes months and months and months. I know that there's another city, Boston, where it takes people have learned how to go ahead and be rent free for a year or two. There's places <laughs> like uh, New York, where it's very, very uh, tenant friendly. So what is a good market? What does that look like? And why have you picked that? So to answer that, I guess, is Indianapolis uh, landlord friendly? Is Indianapolis landlord friendly? I would say, uh, to go back to your question, it all depends on what, uh, when you're determining what market is, uh, goes along with your investment philosophy. So I would say in Indianapolis, it's more cash flow uh, based. And in terms of appreciation, you're not going to get that bang for your buck like you would get in the California. But to, oh gosh, what was your other question though? Oh, uh, on the, uh, it is very landlord friendly. So once you show up to court, you're evicting a tenant. The first thing that the judge asks is, well, the specific tenant, did you pay rent? And they say, no, then you've got to be out by, they generally give them up to a week. So okay. it's very simple. Perfect. Uh, very, very valuable. Glad we went into some of that information. And as far as the job growth and population growth, what is typical and what are you finding in your areas? In terms of a specific percentage? Yeah, yeah. Is there, so how do you know specifically that you're uh, having job growth and population growth in the three markets that you're choosing in Kentucky, Indiana, and Ohio? That is a great question and one thing I would love to provide a follow-up to on. Okay, perfect, don't perfect. Give, don't want to give the wrong answer. Okay, um, so on picking sellers, number two, yes. you've got to pick your target audience. Yes. How do you do that? That goes upon who, uh, in terms of the specific seller, is what you're meaning? Yeah, yeah. So, so here you are, you've picked a market, you've picked a sub-market, you picked a neighborhood. Your neighborhood is this one wonderful area of Indianapolis that you really want to work in. Now, it's your time to pick the seller or your target audience to start buying from. How do you do that? Uh, more of, I from, my, from my standpoint, I, my partner and I predominantly focus on distressed assets and through assets being distressed is more often into where you go into a mom and pop owner. So that, that's how we picked it through that route. Or you can go, if you're wanting to have more of a, a steady asset once you purchase it, then another profile or another seller could be someone who's a little bit more sophisticated. So that could be the different ways. But I just know from, from, for, for us, we like the mom and pop. Okay. So once you know your target audience, are you driving for dollars? I know you knock a lot of doors. What, um, just before we get into how to build or buy a list and using skip tracing and contacting people. Is there any other way that you're finding your specific sellers? Is it, and how are you finding distressed assets? I guess. Uh, the distressed assets. So for us, since we're focused on the 
in let's say Louisville, Kentucky, which were under contract on 80 units. So what we did there is we picked 75 uh, unit, well, apartment complexes between 75 to 150 units. And then through that, we basically narrowed it down. So we said, okay, well, this is a new development. That's not going to be our ideal uh, acquisition. Okay, this one is a little bit more distressed. All right, it's in a really solid neighborhood because we like to focus on C plus B minus. Okay, well, this is good check mark. And then one thing that I forgot to mention earlier is when you're looking at neighborhood, you also want to look at the crime stats as well. I totally overskip that. So that's one thing you want to look at as well. And you can find that by using spot crime, I believe it's dot com or dot org, or you can use the maps provided by trulia.com. Uh, and you can see, okay, where here's red and then here's blue, which is, which is good. So that's another thing that we use and we basically filter everything down. This is our list of uh, ideal uh, sellers. Okay, now, now that we've picked sellers, we need to get a list. So you can either buy it or build it, right? Yes. So if you are building a list, is that just by driving by and writing addresses or? Is that, you said you this prefer is, building it? Yeah, building it, which is the not so fun part at all in terms of the prospecting. And through that, you're using multiple sources. So every, I would say generally every city has a public source to where you can type in a specific address and then you can see all of the tax information and also the owner information as well. Uh, so through that, you, you not the owner's like contact information, but just like, who owns the asset. So you'll have that. And then if it's an LLC or if it's the owner's name, you basically uh, start the skip tracing process from then on. Okay. So uh, some of that probably went over my head and that's okay. Okay. Whoops. <laughs> you know the property that you want to buy. Uh -huh. The next step is to build a list. So how do you start to build that list? And okay. let, let me just kind of go baby steps so that I definitely understand. Sorry. Okay. So to start with, we, you can use a CRM. So Podio, for instance, is a really good one. And then through that you have, let's say it's one, two, three Main Street is a, a specific asset that you're interested in. And then at that point, you can put that property into your CRM as a mm -hmm. prospect. And then, so you have the property under, let's say the properties app, and then now you want to go and find who the actual owner of that asset is. And then that? that's, and then that's when you go to your public site, uh, which is city by city. And then that's when, cause all this is uh, public information. And then that's when you can find who the owner of that is. Okay. So I'm, I'm trying to think of a, uh, yeah, every, every city, every County has a different uh, specific site, but it's all public. And if they're, uh, if it's a very small town or you don't want to go the online route, then you can actually go to your local, uh, I'm trying to think what it is, assessor's office, and that can actually provide you that information because it's all public. Perfect. All right. So that was very valuable. So you want to start by having a CRM and once, and you use Podio and there's a lot of them out there. So once you have a place to kind of keep the data and keep it going in a in order, that's when you can really start to work. And then to start to work, you, got, you find your address, 123 Main Street, and then you'll go to a public site, the, a public site, the assessor's website, and you'll look up the owner of that address. 
Perfect. Mm -hmm. Now this takes us to skip tracing. So how do you do skip tracing? This is a really not so no uh, not so fun part, but where you can really do some good work, leg work, because this is what a lot of people aren't willing to do, and that gives you the upper hand, especially mm -hmm. in today's market. So mm -hmm. through that, you can uh, if the owner is less sophisticated, generally they will put it under their own names, so that's even easier to find their contact information. And one source you can use is uh, if it's mom and pop and they're a little bit older, you can actually find them in whitepages.com. So that's one source. And then I personally use Been Verified, and that is B E, what is it? B E E N, and then verified.com. And I believe that's paid though, but that is actually a skip tracing software. So we have someone's uh, first and last name then it'll it'll basically find that person for you all you need is just specific bits and pieces of information and okay. then so if you don't have a source like been verified then you can just google search if it's owned by an llc google search the llc there's multiple sources that you can use there ah, i don't want to get too much into the meat <laughs> should okay. i go should i go no. more to the trenches or i, I think we're i think we're doing okay right now so let me let me ask a couple okay. questions so skip tracing you want to find their name mm -hmm. to find their name. Sometimes you can go to whitepages.com or binverified.com. Um, and oftentimes you might search, you might do a Google search for the business name to find the owner of the business. Once that is correct. If it's an LLC, okay. correct. Now let me ask you this. Are you have a partner in, in crime, right? Yes, that is okay. correct. Okay. So <laughs> when you're, so who, is it you or is it your partner who goes to been verified? Uh, it's me. I okay. am the, the, the one that's all in on the, the acquisition side. Okay. Got it. Got it. So good. Let me ask you, uh, what does it look like when you're on that website? Is it, is it difficult? Is it stressful? Is it take five minutes? Does it take 20 minutes? What does it look like in terms of time uh, when you're on been verified to find people's uh, search information? It's very case by case, and oftentimes it can be as simple as you put in their name and address. If, if their name is, what is it, John Smith, you're going to have a hard as hell time trying to find a John Smith. But if they have a very unique name, and also you know that they're in the city that you're in, you can type in their name, first and last name, and then also city of Indianapolis, boom, it'll pull up their primary residence, it'll pull up their Facebook page along with an email and some cell phone numbers. Great. Okay, a lot of, lot of good info. info. Um, Google searching the LLC. So when you Google search the LLC, um, does that just get you back to square one? Is that just, if, if they don't have a, a name, then you're just looking for the name and then putting that into white pages or been verified? Yeah, so if you have an LLC name, that is good, and it depends on where that LLC was filed. So that's a, another moving part. So if it's in a larger city, then you have a better time of finding uh, the owner of that specific entity. And there's different sites where you can go to, well, you'll Google search, and then you'll, the, the LLC, and then sources like opencorporates.com or .org will come up. There's manta.com that'll come up. There's bbb.org or .com, whichever it is. And then you'll type on that specific or click that link. And then normally it'll say, okay, this is the manager. This is the owner of that specific LLC. And then 
that's when you may have to go back to been verified. Awesome. Okay. Now that we have built a list, skip trace the list, and it's time to contact them. What are the ways in which you contact your uh, possible potential sellers? Pounding the phone. <laughs> okay. So, so been verified gives you a cell phone number or it gives you, it gives you landlines. It gives you cell phone numbers. It'll give you up cool. to five or six and you'll just have to go through them all. Awesome stuff. And well, next to it, it'll also say, and again, there's other sources outside of been verified. I've just seen that has good in terms of the uh, information that they provide. But then uh, what I was going to mention next to it, it'll say last use on, let's say it's a landline or a cell phone. So that'll give you a pretty good indication that, hey, okay, this is more optimal than this phone number down here that was last used in 2003. Okay. All right. So um, what are the other ways? And we'll get into more information that de details on the phone, but what are the other ways that you'll contact them? Door knocking, is that one of them or? Yeah. So there's the one there, of course, is the cold calls. And then through that route, if you're not able to get in touch with someone or you've gotten in touch with them, they said they're not interested, but you know, it's a asset that they're running into the ground. So it's something you should definitely chase down. In that case, then you have to go the follow-up. So there's, uh, there's text. And then one thing that I'll do is I will actually show up at the specific uh, apartment community. So if it's owned by a property management company or the owner is in there, then that's when I'll show up in person and say, hey, we spoke the other day. I just happen to be in a neighborhood, want to come by and say hi. So that's one mechanism. And then the other, of course, is the direct mail campaign. And what I've started to do is be more of value. So some of these mom and pop owners are not aware of, let's say, a 1031 exchange in the event that they sell their asset. Hey, this is a way that you could divert taxes. So being of value now is what I'm now starting to implement as a follow-up mechanism. All right. So is there any other um, ways that you're contacting your folks? Are you're, doing, you're doing a phone call. That's a big one. You do mm -hmm. text, you'll do text if that didn't work. You'll do door knocking if that didn't work. And then you go mm -hmm. to direct mail. Um, are those the main sources? Is there anything else that I'm missing? Uh, also LinkedIn as well too, depending on the operator. Some of these again are mom and pop, so they don't have those, but you do often run into some that do have that. So that's another follow-up mechanism. Social media. Okay, Link LinkedIn and other social media? Yes. Okay. What? <laughs> And just a little segue, and I mentioned that at Rod's event was I had trouble getting in touch with one seller, but through that source been verified, what I mentioned is I was able to find a relative mm. and, and type that relative in Facebook, reached out to the relative, was able to get the decision maker's contact. Did you buy that deal? Go. Was that no, one of the ones did that not. No, okay. he's not interested. I just okay. got to follow up. But, but you got a hold of him, which yes. is great. And after six or seven months. Yes. <laughs> so here, here we are in creative real estate. That's the name of the podcast. And the, the issue that most people run into is that they say, Oh, I can't find his name and they stop. But what we're getting from you and everything that you've done so far, picking a market, sub market, building a list, you know, your target audience, everything so far, and especially on being able to contact them. Your 
asking a question instead of answering a question. Okay, well, I can't get a hold of him. I'm done. You, instead, you're saying, well, how can I get a hold of him? Let me try exactly. to text him. Let me try to door knock him. Let me try to direct mail. Let me try to offer him value with 1031s. Let me try to find him on social media. Okay, well, they're not on social media. Let me try to find his relative on Facebook. And you did it and you got a hold of him. And um, yeah, it's just great, great stuff. So on the phone call, what are you saying to the seller? Absolutely cold. Yeah, so it's more of a, a, a pitch. So what I do is, hey, uh, Joe Smith, hey, just wanted to personally reach out. I, am, I, I actually bought a apartment complex that is just a couple miles away from yours and wanted to reach out to you to see if you consider on selling. Uh, my partner and I are very reputable. We close in less than about uh, 60 to 90 days. Would you be interested? That's great. Very simple and straightforward. Yeah. Very, very hard to, yeah, that, that was really good. I'm glad I've got it recorded. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Replicate, replicatable. Yeah. yeah. And anyone listening can just push rewind and, and listen to it a couple of times, write it down. Uh, that was a great pitch. So when you're text messaging somebody about their property, what does the text say? Uh, it's more of, Hey, cause normally when I do the text, it's a follow up from the call. And I just say, hey, wanted to follow up, just recently reached out to you regarding your, your property at 123 Main Street, wanted to see if you consider on selling. I believe it's a little bit more shorter than that, though. I'd have to refer back to my text. Great. But it's something along those lines. And then when you're door knocking, I, you may have already gone over this when you said, hey, I was just in the area. Um, I was trying to get a hold of you about the property anyway, thought I'd stop by. Is that pretty, mm -hmm. pretty much the, okay. That is and, it. And, and another thing too is, this is what I got from Grant has been huge in terms of a big picture mindset is it's commit first and figure the rest out later. So let's say I'm talking to a seller. We've had multiple touches, been able to get in touch with them. They're semi-interested in selling the asset. Hey, by the way, Jim, I'll be in Louisville uh, in three days. How's your schedule look for me to come on by? I did not plan on actually being in Louisville, but through that course, I actually committed and then if they say, yeah, I'm making a trip to Louisville. And that oftentimes works. Okay, great. And, you know, I like that quote. Uh, I will touch on it a little bit more. There's been times in what I do with buying properties that it helps you to get things under contract. And there's just some type of psychology about it where it's being resourceful, maybe not having all the resources, but being resourceful. So sometimes when we're trying to put up a contract, um, 150, 250 units at a time. And they might say to you, well, have you done this before? Then it's time to say, hey, I'm committed to buying this. And I'm going to partner with the right people. And it's just a way to say, let's, let's just do it. Let's just get it out of the way. And I might not have, uh, you know, bought a $20 million property by myself yet. But I know who to partner with. I've got a podcast. I've got friends. I know how to reach out to uh, Adam or Sterling or Rod or whoever. Let's, I'll figure it out. If this is a good deal, we're buying it. And that's helped me a lot. It's just almost that same quote that you use is just commit to it. Say, this is happening. We might not have the details yet, but we'll, we're, we're going to work them out. And then I've I've personally impressed a couple of sellers because we've, we've closed on multi-million dollar properties because, and I started off with that. Hey, this is the first syndication I've ever done. I'm resourceful. I'm going to do it. So awesome. anyway, I hope people 
get something out of that as well. And, and even though when you're buying, you're still selling yourself on why you're the right buyer for the asset. So you're always selling ultimately. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. For, definitely. All right. So give us the tips and tricks of direct mail then, Sterling. You got to set a campaign in place. So that's one thing. And the now what I figured out is not so much a right hook in terms of the, the campaign, especially when you're further along in the touch points, is now to be of some type of value. So the, the first touch could be, hey, had trouble getting in touch with you, just wanted to reach out to see if you're interested in selling. And then the follow-up touches would be one, uh, a Rubik's Cube, hey, let's figure this out, I know you're busy. And then the third touch may be, uh, gosh, what's that third touch? Uh, a 1031 exchange. Have you considered this? I'm more than happy to put you in contact with someone who would be able to give you more information. Wow. Very interesting. What did you mean by right hook, by the way? Uh, this, there's this uh, book, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. Are you familiar with him? Jab, and jab, right hook. Yes. Jab, jab, right hook. So the, the, the jab, jab is value, value, value. And then the right hook is basically going for the ass. So you could give a, a ton of right hooks. Hey, interested in buying your property. Hey, when would you be in, when would you sell your property? Or you could give a jab, be a value. Hey, seller, 1031 exchange. Don't know if you're familiar with it, but this is a way that you could defer taxes. Okay. Got it. Got it. Um, what was the first touch again? Could you remind me? I missed typing it out because I was getting everything in order. Yeah. The, the first touch is just a, a, a very simple. And what I do is I actually write on this type of notepad too is yellow. I still do the yellow letters. Are you familiar okay. with it? So mm -hmm. I'll do a yellow letter and well, I have an assistant basically write it out now. Uh, and it'll be, Hey, this is Sterling here. And it'll be virtually the same pitch that I had on the, the phone call. But this is just basically another uh, follow-up me mechanism. Hey, Maybe. reached out to you and then, hey, bought this property next to yours. Want to see if you consider on selling. Love it. Okay, great, great info. LinkedIn and other social media, you, you shared something uh, very cool where you were able to reach out to a family member to get a deal uh, or at least to talk to somebody. And it, you focused more on LinkedIn though, instead of Facebook, even though I know you had that success with Facebook. May I ask, what do you do on LinkedIn? Is, are you just finding them, connect, pushing connect, and then direct messaging them the same thing as you called them about? Or what's, uh, what's really the way on, on LinkedIn? Yeah, so on the, the LinkedIn route, this is more of the first touch. And on that, so I'll see that John Smith owns, again, I keep using one, two, three, Main Street. So I'll hit the connect and I will have a little brief message in there. And I'll just have it, uh, of course, personally noted to them. Hey, saw, saw that you own that specific asset. And it's basically like the first initial touch of the co-call. Uh, Okay. I, I really, really appreciate you going through everything. Thank you for coming on. Before I wrap it up, what is one piece of advice that you have for the listener that you can picture in your mind? The one person that you see listening to this podcast, you need them to get something out of it today. What's the one thing you want to give them? You got to get your mind right. Got to get your mind right. So there's, 
And, and what Adam was discuss, uh, elaborating on earlier is you basically got to figure, figure it out. It's about how can I do this versus using that as a roadblock. And I saw that one of your questions was just a, a favorite book. But one thing that helped me was audiobooks. So it was one, just to give you a perfect example, is Essence of Success by Earl Nightingale. So in this field, specifically uh, when you're dealing with uh, multifamily owners and sellers, you're going to get kicked in the face uh, quite often. So you just have to have your mind right and have your ultimate uh, big goals in, in mind that so when you do uh, basically get kicked down that, hey, you bounce right back up. I love it. I couldn't agree anymore. So again, syndicationpro.co, not .com. It's just pro.co. Just <laughs> that is anybody cool. thought. But don't worry, that's in the show notes. Scroll down now. Just go to the show notes, guys, and you will be able to grab that link to head over to Sterling's website. Or if you just want to give him an email, it's Sterling, S-T-E-R-L-I-N-G, at syndicationpro.co. All right. Thank you so much for coming on. Tons and tons of value. And I'd love to have you back on. Awesome. Sweet. Thank you. Have a great one, everyone. <laughs> Bye for now. Hey, it's DJ. And I want to thank you for being a loyal listener. We're glad you keep listening to each episode. And I want to ask you to please take a minute to give us a five-star review. And remember, we are not attorneys or CPAs. This is just the stuff you bring to your advisors.